open our hearts. Let's um, prepare to hear from uh, Pastor Albert as we continue in our study of Ecclesiastes. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Um, Why don't we just uh, real quickly just give a round of applause for those who have come back from Ecuador and just different mission places like Carol and just, you know, switch to God and what he's doing. It's so good to have them back. You know, they're all freshly tanned and burnt. Give them a nice back, <laughs> back massage or something. Uh, greet, be sure to greet them and uh, ask them how the trip was. Uh, this morning, I uh, just want to switch things up a little bit. You know, it's always a privilege for me to come and speak, and I just want to welcome everyone to Harvest. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here, and you know, occasionally I get to speak, and when I, sp- when I get to, it's always exciting for me, and uh, definitely a big privilege, but um, just uh, shake things up a little bit morning, this morning. Why don't we uh, stand as we read uh, our verse for today, just in respect and just as we honor God with his word and, you know, good to kind of shake things up. Uh, so let's read together uh, this verse together, starting from verse 1, 3, 1, 2, <laughs> Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. He portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you will not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And as you do not know path of the wind, how the body is formed in a mother's womb, we cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So your seed, morning, at evening, let your hands be together. You do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will be equally. Amen. And be seated. <coughs> Ooh. Ah, that's scary. I'm, I'm, I'm sick right now, so... <clears throat> I'm going to try to not cough. <laughs> um, <clears throat> usually when I take notes, <clears throat> usually there's an uh, underline in your outline, but I'm feeling very generous today <clears throat> because usually sometimes when I take notes, you know, I'm really trying to keep up with certain things that Dale's typing, and sometimes I miss an underline, and it really irks me. I'm like, oh! What is the underline? You know, I don't have, I don't really sit next to anybody. I can't really ask them. So, you know, it goes along with the message today about being generous. But <clears throat> why don't we, let me just give you the answers so you can just really focus on the message. Uh, there's two points today, very simply. And the title is, <clears throat> to risk boldly and wisely for there's no reward without risk. Okay? First point is, diversify your investments. 
<clears throat> secondly, seize your opportunity. Right? Very good. Diversify your investments <clears throat> and seize your opportunities. Great. Uh, <clears throat> today, this morning, I want to kind of begin with something that is very dear to me. <clears throat> and lately, it's been board games. Anybody a big fan of board games? <laughs> uh, as of late, I've been, uh, we've been kind of, well, maybe not as late, but uh, I've been really enjoying playing this certain strategy game. And <clears throat> why I like it so much is because it's unpredictable. Right? It's unpredictable. One minute, <clears throat> you could be winning. Right? You're winning, and the next minute, you're losing. <laughs> Probably losing bad, okay? Uh, but let me tell you, if you haven't played it before, it's, it's like it's thrilling. Right? It's like a thriller, right? It's thrilling. It's exciting. And, you know, my sermon title probably gives it away. But in French, it is called, I think that's where, where it originated. Uh, I'm going to butcher this. But uh, <coughs> La Conquête de Monde. You got to get, get that voice, the demon, right? It's, uh, it's called The Conquest of the World. Originally released in 1957, right? Fancy that. Uh, but to us, it is known as... Tourist. <laughs> Very good. <clears throat> right, this game's premise is pretty simple. Right, there's this big map, six continents, two to six people play, uh, and <clears throat> you're trying to conquer the world with like, your tiny little soldiers. Right? Yeah, I'm going to conquer the world. And pretty much, you win a battle, you go up e- against each other, and you know, people, have, people have dice, and the person who throws the highest dice wins, right? And a little disclaimer, if you're going to play this game, set aside a couple hours, right, for those who have played it. I think, how does this relate? I think the writer of Ecclesiastes, he would have been the greatest risk player. Right? Why do I think that? Because he knew, well, you have to take risks to play the game of risk, right? Uh, but you have to do it with boldness and with wisdom, right? Because you, you know, when you attack, right? When you attack, you can't just attack. You've got to think about it, right? You can't, when you, you can't just bring in all your soldiers. You've got to be calculated. You've got to be bold, right? Uh, you know, you, you don't know if you're going to spread yourself too thin. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't know who else is going to attack me. And you guys got to remember that if you're in, if you're, you got soldiers in Alaska, it connects to the other side, right? So you got to guard against that. And so there's so many different factors, but you have to be wise and tactical. Um, the best part, I think, for me, is the underdog role, where you are defending and you only got one dice, right? You got one dice, and you're just somebody's trying to attack you and. Every time you're rolling those sixes, it's like it's like an NBA where sometimes a block is better than a dunk. It's like more exciting, you know. It just changes the momentum, and you're like just blocking it each time. It's, it's, it, it gives me this thrill, right? Um, but again, it's like you have to be bold, but yet you have to be calculated and wise. And here in Ecclesiastes, the teacher is admonishing us to do this, to live adventurously. But live wisely. And so our verse today, uh, 
It's very interesting. You know, it, 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 Ecclesiastes sometimes can be confusing. You know, sometimes, you know, we read the verse, talks about bread, throwing it in water, right? You know, I would rather eat the bread, right? You put me in Mimi's Cafe and, you know, forget about the entrees, right? Give me the bread, because right? you know, I love the bread, the carrot, bless you, the carrot bread, you know? But, you know, but it's puzzling. What, what, is, what, are, what is the teacher talking about here? And so there's going to be uh, several nuggets of truth that we're going to look at, and ultimately something very important that the teacher of Ecclesiastes wants us to know. And, and so the first point, once again, the main point, diversify your investments. And we're going to look at verse 1 and 2. And so the first sub-point for this is learn to invest well. Right? Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Right? So what in the world does this mean? Right? Do I want soggy bread? Right? You, are you going to toss... You know, you're going to toss something in water and it's supposed to come back to you. And actually, more realistically, bread will probably not come back at all, right? Um, so, I mean, he can't mean literally that you get the bread back. And then what does this mean? The teacher is saying, do something risky. Anybody do anything risky before in their life? Yeah? Uh, <clears throat> I, might, I might have done a little bit. <laughs> A little, one or two risky things. Um, <clears throat> but what, what is he saying? You know, he's saying, do something risky and do something so crazy that, you know, you might not get something in return. Take a step of faith. Be bold for what? After, after many days, you will find it again. Right? This verse has been interpreted in many different ways. And, but we're going to look at two interpretations of this verse. Um, one interpretation is a reference to a business venture, right? Back in the days, you, you see, they didn't have the stock markets where you can invest in money and, you know, do all these things and make a profit. So back then, what they did was, you know, they took their goods, they took their grain and all this stuff, and, you know, they would give it to merchants. And then they would sail away and then sell it for a greater profit, and then they'll return, and then they'll hopefully give the money back to uh, the people uh, who sold it to them in the, in the beginning. And so uh, they would return with this profit. But again, the premise is nothing ventured, nothing gained. There's no risk. Uh, if there's no risk, there's no reward because it's risky business. Why? Well, a ship could what, get caught in the storm, right? be invaded by Jack Sparrow or, you know, if anybody remembers the dreaded pirate uh, Roberts, anybody know what movie that's from? Right? Princess Bride, right. That was, <coughs> this process also requires lots of faith and patience. Why? Uh, one of the commentators talks about how in First Kings, King Solomon would send fleets you know, of these merchants to go out. But you know what? They would come back in three years. All right, so... You're sending your goods off, and then you're, you're not going to expect anything for three years. So you, gotta, you better, you best find out how you're going to survive for those three years because you're not going to see anything. You might not even see it at all because the ship might sink, you know? So you, you just don't know. <clears throat> um, but there's, see, we see a couple principles at work here. 
right? You're, you're committing to this venture, right? It takes a total commitment. You're committing, uh, you know, to this, you know, venture. And then you see after many days, it's, it should return. There's a, there's a certainty of reward, right? And then you see after many, uh, then you see there's this delayed gratification, right? In our day and age, right? Well, what is it? It's all about instant gratification, isn't it? I want instant ramen noodles or instant McDonald's, you know? If you are hungry, you want to get the hamburger as fast as you can into your mouth. And that means, hey, go to McDonald's, get a burger, uh, double, double, what does it go? Mac, double, man, I eat it all the time. Double (laughs) burger. McDouble, that's what it is. McDouble with Mac sauce. There you go. But, but what is it? We want to get to, we want to get A without getting B. Right? Follow me. We want a return without an investment. Right? We want security without risk. We want action without a plan. We want instant gratification without uh, the delay of gratification. And so, hey, you want instant coffee, instant entertainment, Instant girlfriends, boyfriends, relationship, instant answers, right? and even instant faith, right? Like, oh, snap, I went there, right? We, we want that instant spirituality, right? We want to be holy. We want to be on fire, but we don't want to go through the flames, right? We don't want to get burnt, right? We want it instantly. But that's not how it works. The teacher in Ecclesiastes is like, no. No, it doesn't work like that. We have to have patience. We have to be bold. We have to have faith. We have to dare to take risks. And so, secondly, let's look at, we're going to be going through this verse by verse because that's the only way to do it for me right now. You know, you got to look at it one by one and then hopefully we'll see the big picture, right? Verse two, let's look at this. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And so what, what is the teacher saying? We, we need to invest as soon as possible. Right? The teacher is cautioning us here. Uh, if anybody's heard the, the phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Why? Well, think about it. Uh, it's quite possible that if you put all your goods in one ship and then it sinks in the storm, well, I mean, you've, got, you've, all, seen the, you've all seen the Discovery show, uh, The Deadliest Catch, right? It's called Deadliest Catch for a reason, right? Because it's deadly, you know? All the waves and whatever, sharks, crabs, right? <laughs> deadly. But, you know, if the, if the ship sinks, you're done. You're kaput. You're, you're finished. Finito, right? Uh, and so, why? Because you, gotta put all, you don't put all your be- uh, eggs in one basket because it's foolishness. You know, the teacher is saying, be wise. You take one egg, you put it on one ship. You take the other egg, you don't put it on that other ship. You put it on a different ship, and so forth. Uh, and then, you know, if one, sh- one sinks, hey, I still got an egg on another ship. It can make it, right? And so, give portions to seven, yes, to eight, right? Diversify your investments. The second interpretation is this, that... Uh, because God loves you, you can be generous. Right? So the first interpretation is talking about you know, a business venture. Right? You're, you're investing in all different things. 
But secondly, second interpretation, which can also be right, is talking about being generous with your money, being generous with your possessions and your gifts, because it is wise to be generous, right? Why? Because if you are generous, dun, 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 people will be generous to you. Did you, did you, guys, you guys know that? Right? If you're generous to someone, you know, most likely they will be generous back to you. Um, so, so sending out your bread could also be interpreted with giving to the poor. You know, one commentator writes, from a secular perspective, giving to uh, the poor pretty much looks like you're throwing money down the drain, right? You know, I'm never going to, here, I'm going to give this dollar, $10 to this poor person, and you probably won't see that dollar, $10 again, or even worse, he might use it for something bad. There, there's this English proverb that goes like this. Not English, Egyptian. Two different things. Egyptian proverb that goes like this, right? <clears throat> do a good deed and throw it in the water. Right? So, you know, I do something nice for my brother Hong or something. You know, he likes, you know, shoes, so I give him some water. Uh, so, <laughs> some shoes. Yeah. Too much water analogies. Um, but, okay, so, uh, you know, the proverb goes like this. Do a good deed and throw it in the water. When it dries up, voila, you will find it again, right? So it can look like a good deed has vanished in the water, right? You think, oh, I do something good for this person, and it's done, but you know, never to see it again. But when the water dries up, lo and behold, you find it again. And, and in verse 2, it suggests to give generously, right? It's just, if you've been around people who are generous givers, it's such an attractive thing. You want to be around them so you can get stuff from them, right? Uh, but not just that, it's just, it just uh, you know, encourages you. You know, in the verse it says, not seven portions is not enough. Here's eight portions. Why? Because the time is urgent, right? Disaster may come at any moment. There may come a time when you can't invest anymore. So considering verse 2, what is our natural instinct, right? Well, you know, it's to hoard, right? Are you a hoarder? I you know, I'm a hoarder. Uh, yes, I'm a hoarder. <coughs> I hoard books, and you know, I confess, I hoard books that I haven't read. You know, it looks nice on my bookshelf, but I did read most of them. Uh, I hoard, uh, obviously, camera stuff. Um, you know, I hoard, uh, I hoard chocolate right <laughs> in different corners. Of my bookshelf, uh, you know, I hoard anything that has an Apple logo on it. Uh, but uh, what is this? You know, I don't. <coughs> I hoard letters. I, I hoard retreat booklets. I don't know why. Uh, but you know, I don't know why. But anything, right? It leads to clutter, right? When you hoard all these things. But what happens when they announce that there's like a storm or a natural disaster that's coming? Right? People's tendency is to. Go to the public, go wherever, hoard all these things. You know, just like uh, in the great, when the Great Depression struck, right? People hoarded. And you know what they, they hoarded? They hoarded money. And what happened? Because they hoarded money, inflation started and all the prices went up. And then 
you know, nobody could buy anything because everything was so expensive. Right? Well, what is, what is the teacher saying? He's challenging us to hold loosely to these possessions. Right? Whether it be, you know, it could become an idol in your life, but more so, instead of hoarding, to give generously. Because one day, those things will be gone. It won't ultimately give you happiness. So give generously while you can. So then the question is this. So if that's true, if we give to the poor, then what are we to receive back? Right? A commentator, a commentator points to a couple verses. In Proverbs 22.9, those who are generous are blessed, for they share bread with the, with the poor. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is kind to the poor leads, lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. Jesus in Luke he says, give and it will be given to you. Right? A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give, you will be uh, given, you will be the measure you get back. Right? Jesus even goes on to say, to give generously to people who can't even repay you. Have you guys ever heard that? Give generously to people who can't even repay you. And it's like, what? You know, I, I want something back. In Luke 14, he says, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or, or your rich neighbors in case that they may invite you in return, right? And, and, that, and that you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed right? because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now think about this uh, for a minute. Friends, there is something very special uh, in this form of generosity, right? To give to someone who can't repay you. Uh, and it's not to lord it over them, say, you know, I feel good about myself because, you know, I can do something that you can and, you know, or whatever, whatever it may be, right? No, in the verse it says, you will be repaid at the resurrection, uh, of the righteous. But, you know, I don't think you have to wait that long. You know, as we welcome, you know, back you know, the Ecuador team and, you know, as the mission trips in the past, like DR, <coughs> uh, I think those mission trips, you know, we can attest to this, right? Follow me for a second. You see, when we go to these people who have far, far less than anything that we have Yet for some reason, when we give generously, we are rewarded with something that's so much greater, right? Uh, than someone who, you know, we're rewarded so, so much greater than someone who has the means to pay us back, right? Why is it that so often as we return, we're feeling as if we've been given more than, you know, we've, we've gave, right? We, we, we come back with this sense that, man, I got so much more out of it than you know, even the, these little things that I did, right? We go there and we give generously. And, you know, what do we get in return? Not all these gifts or money or anything like that. But, you know, there's something about this sincere, pure smile that, you know, you see from, you know, kids that a smile that just overflows with joy and just, you know, thankfulness. And, you know, because we, we played with the kids. We, you know... You know, we danced with them. We, you know, we taught them 
about the Bible. You know, I remember back in DR when I went, you know, we, we made these easy, but, you know, really cool uh, little shaker things. <laughs> it had, uh, you know, designs, and you put string around it, and you put these beans in the middle. It made this cool sound, you know. Maybe we'll, put, we'll bring it on the praise team one day, as you can see. Uh, but, you know, I just remember giving this small little thing to a kid. And the kid, I mean, I've seen people play PS3 or anything like that, but the kid enjoyed it so much, you know, more than anything else. And, you know, even their hospitality, when you think about it, you know, they show us this gratitude that, you know, that's so much, so hospitable. My friends, it is far greater a blessing to give to those who cannot return. Uh, and if, if that's just not awesome enough, may I remind you again, right? You still get that reward at the, you know, at the resurrection. You know, well, God, you are too kind, you know, undeserving. Right? And before we move on to the next point, I just want to highlight one important thing. As it says in this verse 2, you do not know what, what disaster may come, come upon the land. Right? <clears throat> Friends, I've come across many you know, believers and Christians, you know, you know, as I've talked with them or, or whatever it may be, who you know, simply say they want to enjoy life now, right? in, in the worldly sense. Yeah, I want not the capital G-O-D life, but I want the G-O-O-D life, right? quote unquote. Good. Because God is the truly good life. Um, but then, you know, they want the, the worldly good life. You know, <clears throat> you know, maybe they grew up in church or whatever it may be. You know, they just want a, a taste of the world. You know, so they smoke up, you know, drink up, seven up, uh, I don't know, whatever. Right? I'm young. I want to have fun. I want to just do it. You know, that's so vague. I really don't, you know, do what? Right? And I want to live the good life. And then they say, well, I will come back to the Lord when I've finished having the good life. And then, you know, or, or when I, I need to be a good example to the kids that I raise. But, friends, we have to understand, right, God's grace is, is real. You know, he wants, you know, he wants us to know the ultimate vanity of, you know, pursuing these things and the consequences. But the truth is, we... You know, as it says in the verse, we don't know when disaster is coming, right? We, we can so easily say, I'll change tomorrow, but tomorrow isn't guaranteed. You know, frankly, our next hour isn't guaranteed. You know, this will be expounded a little further in the next uh, verses, but uh, for those who are in this lifestyle, you don't want to end up saying right, at the end, I only wish I had more time. You know, I would have changed sooner. Friends, the time... Is urgent. The second main point is to seize your opportunities. All right, so these next two, next, uh, two verses, uh, verses 3 and 4, they warn us of what happens if we don't follow the commands in 1 and 2. Okay? So keep following with me. If we fail to invest wisely and give generously, what happens if, is you will never do anything spiritually productive for the kingdom of God. You'll never do anything productive. You will never advance the kingdom. And so we must make careful decisions in life. All right, let's look at verse 3. If 
the clouds are full of water. Right? You have to focus on this, you know, because you have to really kind of see what he's talking about. If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Verse 4, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Right, so these are two things uh, <clears throat> beyond our control. Right? Uh, there, there's still some certainties that we can determine, um, but they, these two things represent laws of nature. First, we know if the clouds are full of water, let's examine this. Right? Well, if you are an expert cloud analyst, watcher, I don't know. Being in Florida, you see a lot of clouds. <coughs> but, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can kind of see, ah, maybe that's not a cumulus cloud. Or maybe it is a nimbus cloud. Oh, no, 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 it's a stratus cloud. Actually, the dark hues and the puffiness, uh, it's, it's actually a, a cumulonimbus cloud. Anybody know all this stuff? Uh, I kind of researched a little bit. <laughs> you know, and so you can, you can kind of analyze, oh, okay, the cloud is dark, so therefore, I guess it must rain, right? And so you need to get out your Ella, right, your umbrella. <clears throat> and so we can observe these things, right? You see this, you observe it. But let's look at the second one. <clears throat> what about a tree, right? A tree may fall to the left or to the right. Cannons to the left of me, cannons to the right of me. It may fall either way. But you see, these things are inevitable, and that will happen. And then these things can also be totally random. Now, if a tree falls this way, it may kill someone. But if a tree falls the other way, the man is spared. Right? It's totally random. We can't control it. We don't know. So... Let's look at this. A picture, picture a man, as we see in the verse, uh, probably a farmer standing in the midst of this forest, right? He sees the cumulonimbus clouds, or he sees, you know, the trees. Oh, that tree is falling, you know? You know hopefully he's not on the left side where he is, <clears throat> so he won't get crushed. Um, but I see the farmer is in this place. Uh, the only thing that he can tr- control, right? What does a farmer do? He sows, and he harvests the crop. But... What is he doing in this verse? He's doing nothing, right? Nada. Well, I mean, actually, he's watching the wind, and he's also, you know, watching the clouds, but basically doing nothing, right? Because he's not doing his job as a farmer. So again, the one thing the farmer is not doing is farming. Good job, farmer, right? Yet, he keeps watching, and he... And what he's doing? What is he doing? He's waiting, but never sowing, and therefore never reaping. Right? Do, you, do you see that? Why? Because you see, the farmer is hoping for better conditions. Right? Do you see that? He's waiting for the perfect weather. Right? He wants the sun to be just right. You know, if it's too hot, it's going to burn up the seeds or whatever it may, it may be. If it rains too much, it's going to spoil the harvest. But so what is happening here, he's not taking any risks at all. Therefore, he's not going to sow, and therefore, he's not going to reap, right? Farmers have to take risks 
You know, they have to at one point say, okay, I am going to sow this seed, you know, whether regardless. You know, merchants have to take risks over the seas. Students have to take risks. You know, what major am I going to take? But the commentator here writes that the overly cautious individual is destined to fail, right? For optimal conditions may not materialize. So what's happening? How do you respond when things seem beyond your control? How do you respond? Well, if you're like me, you may get paralyzed. Right? You, may, you may just feel paralyzed with fear or doubt. And then what happens? The other P, the two deadly Ps, paralyzed, paralyzation, and procrastination. Right? Deadly, PP. Right? You get paralyzed, and then what happens? You procrastinate. If you're a student, you know about this, right? And and because you're overwhelmed, right, you just keep putting off things. And then what happens? You you get into this deadly cycle. You know, uh, but what do you think? I'll do it tomorrow when the conditions are right. Maybe, you know, I had my acai berry and, you know, I juiced up and, you know, I have my vitamins, and I feel a little better. I'm going to do my work now, you know? Or, you know, you just wait for the right conditions to come along. But, you know, that day may never come, right? Maybe tomorrow I'll feel a little better. Maybe I'll have a little more self-esteem, and then I'll do my work. But yet you push it off, and then, wow, you're really in a hole, you know? Yeah, I don't know what an adequate word to call it, you know? You're overwhelmed in the beginning, but now you're really in a hole. You're like... In an avalanche, volcanic eruption, I don't know, something worse than overwhelming. Uh, despair, there you go. But, you know, you keep asking yourself, maybe the weather will be better tomorrow. You know, so as we talked about earlier, you don't know when your time is up. And just like this tree illustration where uh, the randomness of life, uh, whether you are a Christian or not, right, when you're confronted with this randomness, you can either gaze at the clouds or watch the trees swaying back and forth, you know, or fill yourself up with all this might, what might have been or what could have been, but you will never plant, uh, plant anything in the ground. You'll never put any seeds in the ground, therefore, you will never sow. Right? Those who don't try, what? They don't succeed. And so, uh, these, are the, these are the teacher's harshest words here. And basically, one pastor sums it up like this. Quit making lame excuses for your laziness and sinfulness and be obedient to what God has commanded you. Ah, right? Ah. You know, when my mom calls me lazy, it's like, ah, because she knows. You know, or you know, it's just like, stop making these excuses. Right? Therefore, what, what this means is that uh, you know, sometimes we can see the signs, but we need to plan carefully. Because ultimately, we do not know what's going to happen, right? And next, we have to know that God is in control. And so verse 5, when we're, when we're coming up to, kind of sets up, it's an analogy that sets up the commands in verse 6, which is similar to the commands in verse 1 and 2. Verse 5, as you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So 
remember, one of the commentators notes, in the ancient, ancient times, right, they didn't have a clue how life developed in the mother's womb. Think about it. Medicine was primitive. They didn't have, like, I don't know what they used, but these high-powered microscopes or you know, monitors or viewing machines, which they do now where, you know, you can literally see a baby and it looks like an alien, you know, and you're looking at it. It's like, is this really a baby? You know? But back then, <laughs> all they saw was the mom's stomach getting bigger and bigger, you know. You know, to them, it's like this little mini, 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 mini me or mini baby, you know, you know a little tiny baby just growing, you know. But, you know, but it, the reality is it can only be attributed to God, right? Even today, with our medical advances, it's still a miracle, right? Not only is this verse saying that we don't know everything, but the comforting thing is uh, we don't have to know everything, right? We don't have to know everything. You know, one, uh, sometimes one misconception about future decision-making is that we, know, we need to know the absolute 100% that this is God's will for us to do something. You know? and so we, we ask God, God, is this the girl that I'm supposed to marry? Give me 100% answer. You know? If you're going to answer me, you know, speak out of my guitar or play some you know, crazy song, and I'll know it's yes. You know? but, it's, but it's not like that. Right? We don't have to know everything. You know? Am I going the right way? Am I making the right choice? Am I right, making the right decisions in my life? But you see, in the midst of this uncertainty, there's one thing that is certain. And this is, is that God makes everything. Right? Now, this is a very important point. Right? God makes everything. Nothing in this world is outside of God's control or his domain. So, friends, God is in control. He's sovereign. He's sovereign over the sinking ships, sovereign over the trees that fall, the clouds, the wind that blows, the crops that grow, the miracle of life. God makes everything. And so, friends, we don't have to know everything. All we really need to know is that, hey, my God knows everything. You know, that should be freeing. That should be liberating, that God is is in control. And therefore, the commentator points out, the fact that God knows everything, right, uh, can give us boldness, right, to take some risk. We can be bold. We can take some risk because why? God's got my back. He, he, even if I make a mistake, even if I fail, you know, God is still sovereign over those situations. And so finally in verse 6 is the last command, you know, and to be diligent from the beginning to the end. Verse 6, sow your seed in the morning, and at the evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will equally do well. You know, some of you wish that the word not isn't there, right? You know, you wish, oh, I'm going to sow my seeds in the morning, and then in the evening, let not your hands, let, let your hands be idle, right? Uh, you you want to work in the morning, and then you want to come home, and you just want to rest. But, you know, same mentality as when we go to retreats. What do you do? You know, you, play, you pray really hard at the retreat. Why? So you don't have to pray the whole year, right? Better not do this at the next retreat, right? But the commentator points out a couple key things, which I'll highlight really quickly. 
You know, in verse 4, remember in verse 4, there will be people who don't reap. Why? Because they didn't sow in the first place. You know, they just watch the clouds, they just watch the wind. But the key thing is this, precisely because of the uncertainty, precisely because you do not know, you ought to use every opportunity to work. We have to see every opportunity as something that we can do work and, you know, really put our best effort in. For verse 6, why is this? For you do not know which wind which will succeed. You don't know if this will su- if the morning will succeed. You know, if you sow in the morning, you know, that might not succeed, but maybe the evening will succeed. Right? Or, you know, maybe both the evening and the morning will succeed. So what does this mean? Use every opportunity to work boldly. And so therefore, since we don't know all these things, every opportunity is important. We must work boldly wisely, you know, understand, you know, God's not telling you to, okay, I got to work 8 in the morning to like 12 a.m. at night, you know. It's not about this. It's about simply, you know, we must give our complete effort in everything that we do. The point is that we do as much as possible in the uncertain time that we have. Finally, to conclude, Jesus tells us this similar challenge. Just like in the parable of the sower, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds ate them up, right? The sower knew that these birds were going to eat it, right? So what did he do? He sowed liberally, you know, as much as he could, you know, wherever. You know, some, some, some uh, sprouted and died because of the hot sun. Some young plants were choked out by the thorns and the weeds. It was random. It was uncertain. But he still knew some seeds will prosper. And so that's why he sold boldly and wisely. On a deeper level, what is the seed? It is the word of the kingdom. It is the gospel. And we are called to be witnesses to the world. You know, there's countless stories where people hear the gospel as a kid, and they grow old, and they come to faith because they heard a message when they were like a little kid and shows God is in control. And lastly, uh, there's this uh, quote uh, that I want to end with uh, in your bulletin. And you can read it with, read along. But I, I would like to close with this. <clears throat> it's by Eugene Peterson. Christians travel the same ground that everyone walks on breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. What is the difference? The difference is that each step we walk, each breath that we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know that we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what, what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil and he will keep our life. I I want us to take a moment, you know, as we prepare for uh, communion and stuff, to take a moment and think about your life right now. What are you investing in? What are you 
Are you risking anything? Because honestly, sometimes it, it takes risks to go up to a person you don't know and share the gospel with them. Or you know, not necessarily that, but what are these things that you're doing? And so I want us to take a quick moment to uh, reflect on what, what is God, maybe God is calling you to take some kind of risk in your life. You know, again, not to put all your eggs in one basket, but to risk something. To do something bold, but yet be wise for the Lord. Because in the end, you don't want to end up with, I wish I did this. Or I should have done this. Let's take a moment to reflect and let God speak to our hearts as we prepare to Father, today, as we come before you now, we thank you that you see us just as we are, sinful, and um, we easily run away from you. But yet, God, I believe that through this word, you are challenging your people to see more, to to, uh, be challenged to do more, to run harder after you to seek your word, and therefore sow the word, sow your word into the people around us, into the world around us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lift, just lift us from the comfort of our lives, lift us from the mundaneness, and challenge us to be bold about our faith. And because you are sovereign, because you are in control, that we would take risks. Whether we fail or whether we succeed, we know that, God, you are in control. And so, Lord, would you continue to convict us? And may we not leave, or may we not live this life in regret, thinking about what could have been done with my life, with my church, or with this world that we live in. And so we thank you for today, and would you prepare our hearts as we prepare for communion. Amen.